Welcome to the Dollar Wise Podcast. At HFM, one of the most significant values we provide our clients is leveraging our experience having helped hundreds successfully navigate through life's transitions. On this podcast, our advisor team explores some of the questions we get every day from our clients. We share some insights on financial topics, and we interview some fantastic professionals from our vast network. Our hope is that you leave with some food for thought and some good ideas to consider. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Welcome, everyone, to the next episode of our Dollar Wise podcast. Today, I am joined with Donna Baines from Baines College Consulting. Hey, Donna. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. We, uh, we've been work- I've been working with Donna. I've been, been friends with Donna for quite a few years. Uh, we have some mutual clients, and she's done some great work uh, for our clients, specifically when it comes to planning for college for their children that are in high school and getting to that point in their lives. Uh, she has a lot of experience on the admissions side, actually at universities, and then she started her own company, Baines College Consulting. When did you start, Donna? In 2014. Okay. So you're coming up on almost seven years, 2021, right? I know. Wild. Well, tell us a little bit about what college consulting is and how it's different maybe than like what kids get at school with a graduate counselor or whatever. Yeah, great. So college consulting really is just the expert advising through a lengthy and cumbersome process. So it's all things college admissions and financial aid. And that's important because when you think about the guidance counselor to student ratio in America, there are on average 430 students for every one counselor. Wow. So that means most students only receive about 38 minutes of planning for college with their counselor. And when you think about what an important investment this is and a major life decision, I think that's where we found a need for professionals to step in with the experience on the other side to to kind of guide families along the way. Absolutely. I mean, I know for our clients, one of the big things that that we always talk about is college, going through the college process is probably something they're only going to do a handful of times. Mm-hmm. And it's a, you know, it's much bigger conversation today than it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago when it was a couple mm-hmm. thousand dollars here, a couple thousand dollars there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a mortgage that they were signing up for. And now it's so important to get it right. Not just because mm-hmm. you're spending all that money, but because, you know, your, your child's going to be hopefully using that education for a career that's going to power they're earning for the rest of their life. So it's so important to get it for right. Sure. Have a for pro. Sure. Makes sense. And um, you know, the national graduation rate at colleges is only 51%. And it's taking wow. it's taking students six years to get their four-year degree. And a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that there's not enough planning and resources when they're still in high school. And they enter college undecided or uncertain and they change majors or they're just not maximizing their opportunities. And they end up being that six year student trying to get their bachelor's degree. So that's incredibly costly. Absolutely. I know a lot of our clients don't even realize that the service that you provide is something that's available to them. So that's really why we want to have this podcast, get this, that's why I wanted to have you as a guest uh, and get the word out about what you do and how it's helped clients of ours and how it's helped your clients. Uh, So with that actually in mind, you know, what are some of the mistakes 
that parents make when they're navigating that college process? What are some of the things you're like, you know, if they could know this, they would be a lot uh-huh. better. Well, the first, as we mentioned, is that they assume that their child is getting proper help in school. So maybe they fail to have some of the important discussions that need to be had early on in their high school years. And there are two factors generally that drive um, where a student will end up in college. And those factors include cost and distance. And... um, you know, cost is one of those things where sticker price can be very deceiving. I know you and I have had this conversation in the past. And when you're trying to pinpoint a college and cost is a really important factor to you, um, the sticker price can sometimes turn families away sure. or, or it can appeal to a family. Um, but, you know, there, there are two things to consider. There are sticker price and then there is the net price, which is what families actually pay after scholarships and grants. And if I could just give you two examples of where this this is really important. For example, in the private colleges, eight out of 10 students actually pay less than the sticker price. So 80% of students at private colleges don't pay full price to attend or what they publish as their cost of attendance. I thought that was amazing. I think you mentioned that to me when we first started working mm-hmm. together and, and networking together, that if, if a, I think it was you, that mm-hmm. if, if a college really, uh, quote unquote, it wants your child or is a really good fit for your child, you shouldn't pay over X amount. Uh, and you shouldn't. Yeah. And, and that was like mind blowing to me because you know, I didn't know any better either. You think that the price that you see is, okay, maybe they'll get um, a, a scholar or something from FAFSA or whatever. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, if mm-hmm. I'm not a need-based person, mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to get anything. That's probably the way, right? And it's just not always. And yeah, so let, here's an example. Duke, you know, we all would love and aspire to go to a school like Duke, but their cost of attendance is roughly $77,000. However, if you get into Duke, 47% of their students get a scholarship and the average amount of their scholarship is $50,000. So it's huge. The real net price, the real average net price of Duke is $24,000 for most families. And what you told me, I believe in the, in line of that same conversation was if you just get in by the skin of your teeth, they'll take your $77,000. Sure. But it's probably a sign that that might not have been the great best school choice for your child and and for their achievement level, you know, because you should have gotten the 50 or at least the 50,000. And some of of those universities, they do base their scholarship off of financial need because everybody that gets in is brilliant or top of their class or had phenomenal scores. Um, But here's a second example, and I think it's important to illustrate this one. Widener University, a private college in Chester, their cost of attendance is published at $65,000. But 100% of students that attend Widener, 100% get a scholarship, and the average amount for their scholarship is $28,000. So what's the incentive to a college to publish a much higher sticker price and then give everyone money there's a lot of theories out there okay but but to the point about mistakes that we make Mm -hmm. is that sometimes a school like widener with their sticker price will 
discourage families from even applying. Yeah. They they look at that price and they're like, there's no way. Not knowing that 100% of the students are going to get, a, a, on average, 28000 in scholarship. But on the flip side of that, you have families that apply to Widener who maybe understand the game a little bit. And they say, we don't really know what it's going to cost until the spring, so let's apply. And then they get this wonderful letter in the mail that says, you won a $25,000 or $28,000 scholarship. That's really hard to walk away from, you know? So uh, okay. there's, there's some marketing strategies going on there. Um, I can't say that that's the intent of Widener, and this is nothing against Widener. Sure. My husband graduated from there, so they're a great school, have a phenomenal nursing program. But this is not a unique circumstance. This happens at schools like Widener, um, other privates. I mean, St. John's in New York, they, they give almost 98% of students an, a scholarship comparable to that one. So I said all of this to say that the cost is probably one of the biggest driving factors, but not really understanding the cost is the biggest mistake that families make because they are either lured in by a scholarship that everybody gets and they're afraid to walk away from, or they walk away from a college not realizing it might be their most affordable option at the end of the, at the end of the day. Okay. Like that that's that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that that's when you think about, you know, these mistakes that people are making. Uh I know one of the things we talked about on our prep call was, you know, what are some of the strategies that people can use to maybe mitigate some of those potential missteps or some of those mistakes? Um you mentioned I know one of them was setting good expectations. So, can you drill down a little bit yeah. more on that cuz I know that's something that is yeah. very important. So, and along those lines, a lot of families start the process really late. Um, they, they, and even high schools don't start having the conversation until the end of junior year or the beginning of senior year. And the reality is, is that the early students who apply during early admission cycles are more likely to be accepted and are li more likely to get more money in their financial aid package. And families fail to create like an optimized list of options for their kids. But part of that, the way to mitigate that is to have those dinner table talks as a family from a young age, you know, entering freshman year, that's when the transcript and the grades and their performance really starts to matter. And I think you have to set an expectation and a culture in your own family that says college is important to us and share those stories of where family members went to college so that this young person can kind of start to envision themselves going to school. Um, oftentimes you ask a 17 year old, you know, what do you want to do after high school? And they give you this deer in headlights look like, I have no idea. <laughs> and it's because they have never envisioned themselves in that setting. So I think, you know, storytelling is really important for a family. If, if you can share your personal stories of going to college and where you went, plant those seeds. And then doing the research early on, you have to understand your the academic profile of your child and how do they rank amongst their peers and how do they rank in comparison to students that are historically admitted to these these colleges. And there are ways that, um, 
you know, Google is phenomenal, but you can get lost in the Google. Oh, of course, you have sauce. to know exactly what you're looking for, right? <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, sometimes you find yourself down a rabbit hole trying to find information. And I think that's where we can really step in and help families. But the key is starting early, uh, knowing what your wish list is, if you will, the criteria. What do you want out of a college experience? Um, is it the size of the school that matters? Is it the type? Is it spirit, um, the program, the rigor, the student activities? And the more you talk about your own experiences as parents and aunts and uncles, and the, the better understanding a student has and of what they should expect out of their college education. And, you know, it's so important that if you can, and COVID has made it difficult to tour, go on the, on the official tours. Most are run by students. So you get a real sense from student to student, what it, what it feels like to, to be on that campus. And you start to create that vision in their head of their future. And the kids that can tell you what their plans are after high school have had somebody talking to them about this stuff. So those are really some of the keys, if you will. And if you do tour, if you do tour, take the younger siblings with you because they will remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that uh, what you said about the storytelling is so funny because I think back in my own life and I I think back to my parents and both Mm -hmm. of my parents are college graduates, but they Mm -hmm. both went back to school. And so, you know, I, you know, it took my mom like six, eight years to get a four-year degree because she was going mm-hmm. back to school, raising two kids, doing all mm-hmm. that stuff. She actually went to Rowan. Um, yeah. And then my dad, same thing, was going to like night school while he was, you know, kind of making his way up through the ranks at, at where he works. So they always said to them, it was very important that we yeah. go to school right after high school. That was, I mean, from as long as I can remember. And they weren't just- about how hard it was for them. And that, that was yeah. a priority. And they weren't just telling you, they were modeling that. Right. That's that's a great point. You know, and my, I remember as a child, my father was a single dad and raising myself and my little sister, we were toddlers and he put himself through law school. So, you know, even for myself, I think about that's my motivation. And sometimes these kids need that motivation. They need to understand their why. Why am I going to college? What am I going to get out of it? It's huge. It, even just seeing, uh, you know, we're, we're, I don't know if it's the just the way it is. You know, we're, we're bad, I guess, human nature generally about delayed gratification and mm-hmm. just in general having to make a sacrifice today for mm. something in the future. And I think yeah. as you get older, you start to learn that stuff. But as kids, it's hard to see that unless maybe you present uh, an image of what the future could look like if you have you know, this education, if you take this class, if you go down this road, because otherwise it's hard. Our brains aren't wired to do that. You know, we're not good for delayed gratification. We want it today. Um, You know, and I often share that with my students is that this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we do find ways in our process to kind of celebrate the wins along the way, because that's what builds confidence in them and, and helps them reach for achieving more. And it's a stressful process. So celebrating the wins, I imagine, just allows them to say, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, maybe think 100% of things aren't going exactly my way, but it because it's stressful. But hey, look at all the good that I've mm-hmm. done. Look at the progress mm-hmm. I've made. I imagine mm-hmm. that's pretty important. Uh, you mentioned that COVID has changed some of the way that you go and look at colleges or actually, you know, experience the, the college um, 
the colleges that you're looking at. So give us a sense of how navigating college admissions had changed now that we're mm-hmm. in this, this COVID world and maybe some ways to like adapt to that. Yeah. And, you know, even though we know that there are some, some things on the forefront with the vaccine coming, which is promising, it's still going to have an impact. The coronavirus is going to impact the way college admissions is handled for years to come. Um, you know, you've got these seniors that just graduated high school in the in the beginning of the pandemic who weren't sure what would happen because they've lost half of their senior year and now they're expected to move on to campus. Some campuses opened, others did not. They had to adjust to virtual learning, which is really hard for a young person. Um, but in terms of navigation, it's really important that we stay flexible, but know our deal breakers. What are we ultimately trying to accomplish? So going back to expectations, why am I going to college? Because college is just the vehicle to what I want to ultimately accomplish. So what are the deal breakers here? Am I willing to pay this tuition for an online class um, in another state if I could just maybe take those same classes at a community college. And I don't think that's a bad option, honestly. I had some students that went ahead and moved onto their campus and took virtual classes from their dorms. And I had a small handful who stayed home and took some of their classes uh, online through the local community college until things kind of settle and they felt safer. And I think that's really important is understanding how each university that you're considering has handled the pandemic. Are the students safe? Is safety their priority? And have they still found a way to kind of preserve the college experience through quarantine and isolation? And in some cases, students have been safer at their university because they're able to take whole dorm rooms and buildings and make them like an isolation station. Like one big bubble almost, right? Yeah, for sure. And they do a lot of testing. And some of these colleges are really getting advanced with their testing. I have a student that's at Georgia Tech and he's home now for the holiday. Um, But they were testing every few, few days sometimes. And I asked him what that was like having that swab. And he said, oh, no, no, the students developed a saliva test. We do saliva <laughs> testing. And I'm like, that's, that. that's incredible. So, you know, um, that's important to know, though, as you're researching these colleges. And I think we add that as a factor when making the decision. How did this college handle the pandemic? There were some that issued partial refunds to families that allowed them to break housing contracts. And there were others that were not so flexible. And I think that's their true colors a little bit. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, So I suggest that families have a backup plan and a bug out bag, because if it all goes bad, you want to be able to I mean, some of these kids last year were they were locking up the dorms and being told you got to you got to go. And they had to quickly. I mean, one family that we know even had to run up and gather their child's belongings and come home midway through the semester. So um, stay flexible, but also kind of research what these colleges are doing. And for those that are rising seniors trying to figure out where they're going to go and they can't visit a campus and go on tour, 
colleges have been investing a lot of time and effort into their virtual tours. Now, those can become a little mundane. You start to feel like I've seen one, I've seen them all, but that's not always the case. I think that that's where a parent support is really needed to kind of keep their focus because kids want stimulation and excitement. Um, and they can get that on social media. So that's the way that a student who cares about the vibe and the culture and what it feels like to be a student, they can go follow those college and universities on, on Instagram, for example, and they'll get a better sense of culture that way. That's very helpful because it is different and it is something that is equally important as it was a year ago. But now, you know, I know even for myself, when I was visiting schools, you know, I went and visit, I ultimately went to University of Maryland, but I visited University of Virginia along with others. And Mm -hmm. just the vibe I got was not for me. You know, it just was the, it was the, it was the the way the tour was. It was the way that it was a little too highbrow for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I was like, you know what? It almost felt like an Ivy, like a little too, um, a little too fancy for me. And it's funny, the same state school, but it's just totally different vibe than when I went to Maryland or when I went to Delaware, uh, who actually Delaware had the best marketing by far. The kit that they sent <laughs> me was like beautiful. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just funny. You get that experience, but now you still need to get that just from some other way. You said the magic word and that's vibe. 99% of my students, when you ask them why they chose the top school that they chose, they will say it's a vibe and they can't quantify or measure what that vibe is. And it's re- and, and admissions people are starting to understand that in their recruitment is how do you create vibe virtually? And you have to do it through social media. That's the only way. Wow. That's good. It's uh, you, like everything else. They're adapting. I'm sure it's a they business are. like any other. It's a very big business. So yeah. that's, um, give us a sense of when clients work with you or when you start mm-hmm. to onboard a client, one, when is, is a good time for people to, to start to look to work with somebody like you? And then also what does the process look like? What's the, you know, the child experience look like mm-hmm. uh, going through your process and working with someone like you? Sure. So it really depends on the student um, because some students need more guidance than others. Our process and our package, it's, it's the same for every student. However, when we apply the process, the application is completely customized according to their needs. So we spend on average between 30 and 50 hours with the client. And when you compare that to the 38 minutes they're getting in school. So we heavily invest in getting to know the student, understanding their passions, their desires, their goals, their hobbies, and then also uh, having the conversation with their parents about expectations. So oftentimes we're acting as like a mediator in those situations because students and parents don't always line up with their expectation. Um, But the best time to start, I would say, ideally is in the junior year. There are just so many critical components to the college admissions process that things that have to take place in the junior year, such as collecting um, letters of recommendation, setting up for testing like the SAT or ACT. And ideally, a student will try to take those up to three times in order to maximize their scores. But with COVID, we're finding testing getting canceled everywhere. So 
thankfully, a lot of the colleges have adjusted now and offer test optional. But I could give you a whole other speech about test optional versus test blind. So if you can take a test, you should try to take the test um, because it is an important indicator to your success in college. Um, but the best time to reach out is no later than junior year. Um, but if you notice in your student that ninth and 10th grade that they just really lack direction and focus and need motivation, that would be a good time to reach out to me as well. We've been working with students. I've been working with students since 2004, and I have a passion for high school kids. I have a high school junior now. Um, and I, you know, I think the really important thing in my process is I teach them to start making adult decisions. So as a consultant, you'll find all kinds of different consultants out there in the world with their expertise. And uh, I really believe in a student-driven process that the child needs to learn and take ownership for this. So I don't do applications. I don't write essays. I teach them how to research. I teach them how to be self-aware and how to outline an essay and create an application that is purposeful so that when the time comes, and our goal ultimately is to be the first to the finish line, we want to be earlier than their peers and get their applications done early, but we want it to be a wholesome application. So we really make that a student-driven process, but we get the family involved. It's like completing a thousand-piece puzzle. There's so many things happening with transcripts and letters of recommendation and testing and brag sheets and activities and there's a, it feels like sometimes you're applying for a mortgage and for a young person, that's a lot of moving parts. So we use technology through like portals to organize their life in a way that we eat an elephant one bite at a time. I love right? that phrase. I use it a lot when we do things internally. Yeah. Oh, and w w to your point about having the student become responsible for some of these mm -hmm. adult decisions. I know some of the feedback I've heard from my clients that, that have also worked with you has mm -hmm. been having a third party helping their child along the process, because I don't know if you've heard this, but teenagers can be tough to work with their parents on things. Imagine that, right? Uh, I have, take I guidance have to from hire, them. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to right? hire someone to work with <laughs> yeah. my child. I mean, because uh, yeah. it, it just means something different when it comes out Absolutely. of somebody else's mouth. <laughs> yeah. They, they list that amongst the top that, of things that they, that they received in working with you value wise was, you know, having somebody who has the expertise who their mm -hmm. child respects and, and really will take guidance from was huge. Uh, was, was so huge. nice to hear. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I, I wanted to, to bring this together with, and I, I wanted to kind of end this on was what are, what's, what are you most proud of the work that you do for your families? So I'm very fortunate to work with families from all walks of life. And, you know, education with the cost rising, sometimes it seems like higher ed and going to college is a privilege. And it, the reality is, is that education should be a right for everybody in America. So I've had the unique opportunity to work with families who have their entire college savings account ready to pay for their kid to go anywhere they want to go. But then I've also had the opportunity to partner with some nonprofits in the community that represent the marginalized and underserved 
And um, those are really meaningful interactions for me to be able to see anybody who wants to do better and pursue more to see them be able to succeed. And I, I feel especially proud when we find a way when it looks like there is no way. And a lot of that has to do with the planning for the cost and understanding how the universities take financial need or academic performance and reward students accordingly. So again, I, I can tell you, for example, last year in Camden, I worked with a program called the Women of the Dream run by a lady named Leslie Morris. And we helped 25 girls from Camden at two different high schools get accepted to over a hundred universities. And many of them got full ride scholarships, including their room and board. So that it, re it removed so many barriers from them being able to achieve success. And like I said, it, it is an honor to me to be able to create access for people who don't think that they have that access. And, you know, for those who have been saving and were responsible and, and did, did all of that lifetime work for their children to be able to help them protect their investment and their savings by properly planning and equipping their child to succeed once they enter college. Um, so those are probably the things I'm most proud of. Well, one of the things you said there was investment, and it's it's funny, you know, as a financial advisor, and I'll give you a, I'll give you a shameless plug from what I <laughs> tell clients is that when you're going to take this step and spend this money, whether it's the parent literally writing all the checks or it's the child taking on some loans or all the loans, it's an investment. Uh, mm -hmm. It's an investment, and and to use someone like yourself and to spend the make the investment in using your services to me when you're talking about spending potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars is mm -hmm. a no brainer because mm -hmm. the cost of making a mistake or the cost of just not knowing what you don't know uh, right. and making a bad choice is just too great. Uh, right. And so you know it, it's one of those things where to me it, it just makes sense to bring in someone who has the expertise who does this every day all day mm -hmm. long and can really provide that guidance. So I just really appreciate you joining us here today, Don. I appreciate Thanks you for inviting sharing me. this this information with our listeners. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Same, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. And for all of our listeners, we want to thank everybody for taking the time today. If you haven't subscribed yet, please hit that subscribe button, whether you listen to us on iTunes podcast or on Spotify. And if you have any questions or if you have anything you'd like us to cover in the podcast, shoot us an email at info at hfmadvisors.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dollar Wise Podcast. At HFM Investment Advisors, our mission is to educate and empower our clients to make wise financial decisions. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at www.hfmadvisors.com. The spoken advice in this podcast is presented by HFM Investment Advisors, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Please note, registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. All investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. There is no guarantee that any strategy will be successful.